Welcome back to the program. I am joined today by Father Jeff Lewis, who is going to lead us in a scripture reading and a prayer. Father. Okay, our scripture reading will come from uh, Psalm 130. If you, Lord, keep account of sins, Lord, who can stand? But with you is forgiveness, and so you are revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and I hope for his word. My soul looks for the Lord more than sentinels for daybreak. More than sentinels for daybreak, let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. Good and gracious God, we ask you to show your mercy upon us as well as you prayed, as a psalmist prayed to you. And by the prayers of St. Alphonsus Liguori, may we continue to grow in our understanding of the faith and the morals that are applied to our faith as we continue to give greater glory to you for the salvation of souls. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Father. I appreciate that. So, do you know why you were reading Psalm 130? I do not. You yeah, don't? It was, it was oh, your selection. <laughs> nice. So, you know, you see that the, the haughty just got knocked down a <laughs> knocked few pegs. Knocked down to, to humility. It, it, uh, it has to do with the, um, with the scriptural basis for the redemptorists. Okay. So the redemptorists have a motto, and the motto of the redemptorists is copiosa apud eum redemptio, which is a translation of with him is plentiful or copious or abundant redemption. Okay. And that's why the Redemptorists are the Redemptorists. Yeah. And okay. today we honor the uh, the founder of the Redemptorists. And isn't that a, first of all, isn't that a great word, a phrase, right? When you think about redemption, to say it's plentiful yeah. or copious yeah. or abundant. Mm-hmm. You know, an overflowing redemption, not just uh, what we barely need to survive, but uh, super abundance. Yeah. I and, and you know, this, when I... I see passages like this, and this for me is part of the paradox of the writings of great saints. So here you have St. Alphonsus writing, uh, founding an order that has as its motto and mission the advancement of the redemption that Christ won. And he didn't call it a narrow redemption, limited redemption, uh, the barely scraping by redemption, mm-hmm. but copious, overflowing. It, it's too much. There, there, there's more. There's there's such an abundance. It, it's beyond what you could even think is necessary. Mm-hmm. It's a copious, overwhelming redemption coming from Psalm 130, which is all about mercy, hoping in the Lord, waiting on the Lord, and all of that. So that's all on the one side. Mm-hmm. Now, what am I going to put on the other side? Uh, whether or not we will receive it. How about or... the actual writings of, of St. Alphonsus? Uh-huh. Because if you want to get beat up spiritually, <laughs> read St. Alphonsus de Liguori. Because man, oh man, his writings, they are ice bucket challenge. Like they <laughs> are like searing, like not, not like a gentle, warm lamp that is kind of making you feel good inside. No, it is like, it is even more than a spotlight. It's like a laser beam. I mean, it's like a rail gun kind of just searing through you. Mm. Uh, But uh, so it's this simultaneous experience of upholding two things at the same time that are both true, that are difficult to reconcile from an external standpoint. Well, we love to do that. I think as human beings, we love to master and control uh, reality. And mm-hmm. so you can't do that with God. 
Right. You cannot control God. And God, as the, as the philosophers will say, God cannot be contained in a concept. Yeah. Right? Even the idea of God is, is, a, is um, the idea of God is such that the word itself cannot contain that which it is attempting to convey. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. So that is also true about the truths of our faith. So today, uh, I, I love that we're talking about copious redemption, even as we explore the writings of St. Alphonsus de Liguori. Um, I, I, I've kind of been gushing a bit about him. Do you have a particular, uh, ha- have you, in, in the course of your own formation and priestly life, been drawn to any of his works? So, um, I, be- you know, I believe there's a very common setting for the Stations of the Cross that, that he wrote. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, and I think he was the first to do that, realizing, you know, that uh, it's just increasingly difficult for Christians to go on pilgrimage in the actual Holy Land because of the political turmoil there and, uh, you know, Muslims haven't taken over and all this. And so, but to not be denied that opportunity to walk in the footsteps of our Lord. So devised the traditional four, what are now the traditional 14 stations of the cross and the prayers to go with them and and that it continues to be my favorite setting for the stations. I didn't know that. That uh, yeah, that's I, that's the historical I believe um, it is. Yeah, I read that somewhere. Rationale for the devotion of the stations of the cross. Yeah, it was just wow. more difficult to actually get there and and maybe we'll have to go back to that. I mean, it, it's interesting when I was there on pilgrimage in 20 uh 2015, February 2015 and and things seemed pretty peaceful to us, um, but it was soon after we left that, you know, extremists had burned down one of the historic churches at one of the holy sites, you know, that we had visited not a month before, and so maybe things are, are flaring up again, and, and it'll be difficult to get there. So God bless St. Alphonsus for devising this for us so we can pray in our churches yeah. and still walk the footsteps of Christ. Well, that way of the cross, our stations of the cross— that that's a heavy duty one. Mm-hmm. I love hearing my kids say those prayers out loud. Like, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sins. May I never sin again. I reject yeah. all sin, and I will live entirely for you. Again, that sense of I'm going to put in an ideal form the 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 sentiment that in my real life I'm not quite living. Yeah. But praying in that ideal way is precisely the way to move me from my reality towards. That which is more ideal. Right. The greater reality. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So uh, did you ever actually ever read Preparation for Death? No. You've mentioned this before, though. I have. And, yeah, you recommended it to me. It's, it's on I, my list. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I can see why you'd want to push it further down the list. <laughs> but it's uh, uh, Mary Grace when I, I said, oh, you got to read this. She's just like, whoa. And she'd, she'd take it and she'd give it. She's living with um, these evangelical Christian um, women, uh, and she brings them all of these Catholic writers, and they're like, whoa, you know, like the way young people do that today. And they are completely blown away at the richness of what they encounter in the writings of saints. Mm-hmm. So th- this is one of those books. Yeah. Like, You'd think that it's if you're gonna write a bestseller, you don't call it preparation for death. That is just not gonna win a lot of friends. No, <laughs> but um, that book, even though it is so hard, it's hard. The truths are hard. Um, it's it does show the distinctive gift of Saint Alphonsus because he is someone in his writings, folks. I just encourage you to to just pick up a book. The Glories of Mary is one that is 
may, I don't know if it's his most famous, but it's one that gets attached to a number of his other works, mm-hmm. like as, a, as a, an appendix is The Glories of Mary. But um, uh, the, uh, his style is like just searing, hot, insightful content. But then he will put into prayers that the reader can pray the proper response. Okay. Because that's often what we lack. Because mm-hmm. you can read a book and then you can say, what am I supposed to do with that? Uh-huh. How do I take that and then turn it into some kind of prayer? So he'll give content. He'll give ex- examples from the lives of the saints, fathers of the church, doctors of the church, popes. Um, and then he'll say, okay, now what's your resolution? Mm-hmm. Here's my resolution. Now let me put that into a prayer. Mm-hmm. And it is so good. It's just very powerful, very life-giving. So that, that's my encouragement. Um, kind of like, it's kind of like um, St. Saint, um, Saint Francis de Sales, uh, mm, Introduction yeah. to the Devout Life. Yeah. But not so, uh, not so gentle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, Father, we're going to um, put you through the ringer because okay. you're going to be facing... You're going to be facing down some challenging quotes by St. Alphonsus de Liguori and see how he can help, uh, well, bring a little more humility into all of our lives as he blesses us with some powerful insights. So, Father, I'm going to read the first one and then have you give us some commentary. Uh, Our Savior says, if you have not received the graces that you desire, do not complain to me, but blame yourself because you've neglected to seek them from me. Yeah, <laughs> I suspect you know I'll be feeling. That's convicted not the on laughing Jesus, and that's not the gentle Jesus. No. Children come to me. This is yeah. This is the this is the come to Jesus moment, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I like that you know. Do not complain to me. You know we we ask for a grace, and we expect maybe to be rec- to receive it instantly. And when we don't, you know, our next inclination, my next inclination, is to complain to God. Well. You know where was this? I asked for this two seconds ago. Come on, where is it now? And um, but how? When did I ask for that grace in the in a in a humble disposition, in a manner to receive? And um, and did I tailor my request with? But Thy will be done, because maybe what what I requested is not not what's actually best for me in that moment. Uh, but my inclination would be to complain rather than to take us take a step back and look at myself and kind of reassess did I you know all these things did I ask for it in a worthy manner am I asking for the right thing or at the very least am I giving myself to the Lord as much as I expect the Lord to give himself to me in that moment um, yeah there's all kinds of reasons why I do not perceive I receive that grace and um, there was a, um, a sister of Mary mother of the Eucharist who was interviewed one time I watched this interview and she said well when your when your spouse is the Lord you feel like something is wrong in your relationship, you know it's your fault because he's perfect. And yep. <laughs> uh, I think the same thing in my friendship with the Lord. If there's, if I perceive anything's off here, it's probably not God's fault. It's probably mine. Well, and Father, I think about this as a father, how many times my kids will come to me and they'll ask for something. And you know what they want? They want it quick. Mm-hmm. They want it immediately. They want it easily. They, they, they want it without any kind of effort, any kind of... Uh, preparation, any kind of right disposition. It's just simply, hey, Dad, can I have this? Or Dad, can we go there? Or Dad, can, can you take us over here? And and not even a please. Not even a please. It just, I, I would like it done, and I'd like it done now, and I'd like it done easily. And then the complaint comes if it's, um, is your room clean? Are you keeping up with the chores that are yours? 
have you contributed to the home in terms of taking on the, the doing the yard work that needs to get done? And then what about that job thing? Aren't you supposed to be working right now? And what about getting ready for school? There's the summer reading list. How far down the list are you? Whoa, 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 back off, right? <laughs> I, Dad, I just wanted an ice cream, right? And just go to the store. And, and it, it's, we're so quick to want to ask for God, ask from God, things that, well, and I'm feeling a little sad right now, so Lord, please help this situation. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get an immediate answer, yeah, we default to complaining, blaming, God's not listening. God's not real. Why mm-hmm. isn't God doing anything? Mm-hmm. And so blame yourself. You have neglected to seek them from me. Yeah. Not you didn't ask once, but neglected to seek them from me. Yeah. Uh, any sense about that? Like when you think about seeking for blessings from God for yourself or others, petitions or intercessions, um, any insight that you'd want to share with others regarding like what seeking looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus has that passage, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. And I, I, I suspect there's a reason why I put that in that order. I can ask God from my comfortable chair for this grace, and that's fine. And then maybe I can put more, you know, skin in the game, as it were, and, and uh, meet the Lord halfway as he meets me. You know, I'm asking the Lord to come down from heaven to shower me with this grace, but maybe I get out of my comfortable chair and go to the chapel where he is in the Eucharist, at least make that physical motion to where he is, or that physical motion to, I'm asking for some help, and I can seek uh, some response to that when I go to help someone else who might be in need, whatever the case may be, but some kind of like physical action to put my money where my mouth is, as it were, to to worship God, not just in my mind, in my heart, in my words, but in my body, in my actions. And um, and so seeking connotes this idea of like, I got to get up out of where I'm comfortable and go out there and, and you know, do something about it, so to speak. And um, quite a bit more than merely asking. So let's, let's, take, let's stick with Jesus in the scriptures for a moment there. So we have seeking and knocking. Mm-hmm. And he gives examples, right? He gives those little parables of the, the uh, importunate widow who pesters seeks favor, a, a favor from an unjust judge, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so what do we take from that, 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 uh, that image of that parable uh, or metaphor of the importunate widow who is um, pestering a judge? We uh, take away the lesson of persistence, perseverance, the importance of that. You know, we had that similar parable just this past week, I think, the neighbor who asked for a loaf of bread. That's the knocking. Yeah, that's right? the knocking. Think of, yeah. Literally knocking at night. Mm-hmm. And and what does he say? Jesus says, he's not going to stop until the guy gets out of bed. Mm-hmm. Even though the guy says, go away, I'm sleeping, right? No, no I'm going to keep knocking until you do something about it. Mm-hmm. So whether it's uh, seeking or knocking, there is something about being vigilant. There's something about not stopping until the Lord responds. Well, we have to stop because we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to continue to dig in to the reality of how do we come to receive what it is we actually are seeking in accord with the scriptures in our tradition. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in 
the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about seeking for responses in prayer. And we're basing this on uh, what St. Alphonsus de Liguori is saying, that, that the Lord is saying, look, if you don't receive the graces that you desire, don't blame him. Don't complain to Jesus that somehow he's not ready to give. He's more ready to give than you are to receive. So there's something about our side. There's something about a capacity to receive that is connected to seeking and knocking. Just before the break, Father, we were using those examples of the widow pestering the unjust judge um, who finally sided for her and the neighbor who was in bed and has the knocking at the door and that guy won't stop until... This, this person gets up and, um, and gives him the bread that he needs. Father, let's translate that very concretely. There are folks listening, and they're like, okay, I've heard the scripture a hundred times, but what does that mean for me as I'm praying for my daughter who has left the church? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for me who I have a husband, and he is still uh, coming at me with negativity and harshness in my speech and in, in how he talks to me? What does that mean for me when, as we're facing financial challenges and we don't see a way out? Mm-hmm. So, um, for me, persistence in prayer. And I'm I'm thinking, what what effect is it? What is the purpose of having to be persistent in the first place? I ask, why doesn't God just answer it the first time? Is God, you know, slow to hear? Does God is God testing me? Whatever the case may be. And I do think, call to mind, I think it's a teaching of St. Augustine that prayer doesn't make us change God's mind. Prayer changes the prayer, us, you know. And so I try to remain calm about it. Okay, I'm a little frustrated that the prayer remains unanswered, but, you know, I'll, and then I'll explore why. Why does it remain unanswered? And, I, you know, like I mentioned before the break, you know, is there, am I asking the right manner at the right time for the right thing? And... um and then I, I, I just uh, I maybe try to take stock into, okay, I've been praying for whatever this is for, for a week now, for a month, or for a year, or whatever, and, um, and maybe it's an invitation for me to just kind of reflect on how this has actually changed me in a way that I didn't perceive, and I wouldn't perceive if my prayer were answered right away. Uh, so maybe I've become more of a charitable person because I'm praying for this person to, you know, to get over... Uh, this bad habit or whatever the case may be, like they just treat me like a jerk and I wish they would change. Um, maybe maybe they haven't changed, but I have. I'm a little more patient and charitable with that person, and that's the um, the catalyst to, to actually help that person to change. You know, I'm, that's just a, 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 you know, as a, as a sample. Or at the very least, it's helped me just be more at peace and to just be more of uh, in a place of surrender to God's will and humble that I can't see all ends, but God can. I'm praying for this, but maybe God is going to actually enact that, and to just be more of at peace with that. I tell you, there is a very specific real example. So I had a, we had a prayer healing service that I offered specifically for one of our parishioners at St. Mary, who's uh, uh, deep into the stages of ALS. 
and um, and we prayed for the intercession of Venerable Aloysius Schwartz, and I think we talked about him on the program earlier this year, um, in that in a book written about him. Anyway, we prayed for this intercession. I didn't know what to think at that time. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if if Garth just like hopped up out of his chair right now and and was like all normal again? And um, and if that, <laughs> I had to think to myself, and I was really as the prayer service was going along, like agonizing over this. Like, if God doesn't will that. Um, is the reason why because it's not the right time, or am I not really faith? Uh, am I not really as strong in my faith in the power of prayer as I ought to be? And I'm using, well, thy will be done as a crutch in case it doesn't happen, kind of hedging my bets. Like all these thoughts are going through my head, but in the end, I see the effects of that prayer service in that in that Garth. Uh, increasingly, I can see it in his eyes and how he smiles and such. Uh, just seems to be more more um, uh, overtly and consistently an outwardly joyful person. People, I think there was a lot of sadness and frustration at his condition, but maybe the prayer service helped him in that spiritual and to be more more that, more of a of a peaceful, joyful disposition despite this illness or maybe because of it. And, and this is his path to sainthood. And I can surrender to that too, that I didn't see him hop up out of the chair. I didn't get to see that physical miracle, but we're seeing a miracle nonetheless that his faith is deepening. And maybe that's why my prayer has yet has been unanswered, and it's been half a year. Um, but if I weren't in pers- persistent in my prayer in that regard, I, I may not be of of a mind or of or of a of a, of a sight of faith to be able to see that in the first place, and I would be missing out. Yeah, if all, any of that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, if I had to try to synthesize it down, I would say it this way: um, that unanswered prayer that has us continue to seek an answer brings us into contact with poverty of spirit, mm-hmm. right? And that's the first beatitude. Bless, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so somehow the kingdom of God, that the presence and power and riches of God's kingdom are only accessible to our lives through the doorway of our desperation, that's not a very popular message. No. Right? It's and, and 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 so here's the thing. We will avoid like the plague the experience of being desperate. The experience of being spiritually poor. The experience of ha- having that unavoidable conviction that I don't have what it takes. That it's it, it's absolutely the, the the discrepancy that exists between what I can bring to the table and what is needed is unbridgeable. No one likes that. Mm-hmm. And yet, the Lord invites us to live there, mm-hmm. to to actually existentially, personally, deeply live the reality of poverty of spirit. Mm-hmm. So honestly, unanswered prayer is a huge gift yeah. in today's world, mm-hmm. because we have found a hundred ways through technology and material abundance to cover over, obscure, or Numb. attempt to overcome... Yeah. Poverty of spirit. Yeah. Or just numb it entirely. Or numb, numb it, it entirely. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, my, my life is really good right now. So Lord, essentially, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. I don't need you. And you know what? That is not a blessed state. Yeah. It is not a blessed condition to have all of our human needs met and met without God. And and all of a sudden, the deeper things that we were made for, we don't access. And so the Lord can give us the gift 
of having a trial, a tribulation, a suffering, something that is unavoidably painful in order to drive us to our knees, to experience poverty of spirit, radical desperation as the greatest gift that he gives to us. The greatest gift is that situation that drives us to our knees and says, I can't stop praying. I won't stop praying. There's, how can I possibly stop praying because this situation hasn't been resolved? And the Lord is saying, I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you because what's being carved out of you, what's being cleansed in you, what is being stretched inside of you is poverty of spirit. And guess what happens with that? The space for God's kingdom to be poured in. Mm -hmm. So we want God's kingdom to be poured in. We just don't want to be carved out. Right. So there's my, well, not very short answer. <laughs> well, you know, maybe a shorter answer is we, we want the salvation without the suffering. Yeah. You know, we want the kingdom without the cross. And, um, Why didn't and, you just and, say that, Father? You could have said this all a whole yeah. bunch of times. We be done with the program by now yeah. if I just said that 15 <laughs> minutes ago. But yeah, uh, there's something you said earlier, too, struck a chord with me, and that is, you know, if, if my life is going so well, how tempting it is to see everything is going so well, and I don't need you, God. Um, I, you know, it's in, you know, I don't, I don't actually fall for that temptation. In fact, when I do perceive that things are going a little, a little too well in my life, I actually phrase like that. It's like things are going a little too well. <laughs> Something's not right here. I'm not, I'm not attentive to something, and and it actually, it actually, you know, almost physically sometimes makes me stop what I'm doing and reflect. Okay. Things are a little too well, and then if I can't think of like I'm missing something, you know, then my heart turns to gratitude. It it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's almost a palpable feeling, and I just like 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 almost like an instance of the twilight zone in my life. Like mm -mm, something's off here, something's gonna happen. The shoe's gonna drop. It's a little too nice right now, and um, but it does make me you know inspire me to be self aware and to turn to God in prayer. You know, if only to thank Him that things are so well, but. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, I like that because you bring up, I think, what is a big challenge for a lot of people. And the challenge specifically is, um, how do I make the choice in times when life is very comfortable and I don't have any existential crisis or deep felt need for God to be able to choose the attitude of desperation, to choose holy desperation or to choose spiritual poverty as the stance I take, even though at a very human level, I don't feel it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have actually, uh, I have found personally, and I mentioned in, in New Father, I have found a great help the church gives to embrace that attitude on almost a daily basis. You know what it is? Mm -mm. It's the Office of Readings. Mm. Uh, I want you to, to, the next time, as you start reading the Office of Readings, um, hold that in your mind. Because I, I have this, it's my intuition, more than something that's been proving to me through the study of like sacramental theology, that the different hours have a certain tone to them. And I remember a theologian teaching this. He, he was saying that morning prayer is very vigorous, mm -hmm. right? The canticle of Zechariah, mm -hmm. right? It's a very vigorous, bold, strong praying. And that's how we are in the morning. We've got the energy, going to tackle the world. Evening prayer is more quiet. There's a, a, a calmness. There's a, 
I, I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm finished with my, uh, my laboring. Night prayer tends to be more surrendering to God in a sense of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever read the Office of Readings? Mm-hmm. It's desperation. It's I cry tears on my pillow. I moan like a dove. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm crying out to God. I've got nothing. Don't let your enemies come over me. Now, when traditionally is the Office of Readings prayed? I think it's prayed at midnight, isn't it? It's like four in the morning. Yeah. It's the first hour of the day. And so it's, it's prayed sometime in the middle of the night. The monks get up, they come to the chapel and they pray it. And then they go back to bed and then they come back and then they go to mass and pray and d- then do morning prayer. And, and I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Because who is in a situation that sounds like, feels like, is like the Psalms that are typical for the Office of Readings? It's parents mm-hmm. who are up at night, and they are absolutely traumatized and overwhelmed by what they're facing, and they can't sleep. Mm-hmm. They literally can't sleep because mm-hmm. they're so overwhelmed. And I'm like, that is so brilliant that in the Liturgy of the Hours, the church puts um, the prayers of the traumatized, the prayers of the, those who are in holy desperation. So whether or not, Father, you are ever in that circumstance, just pray the Office of Readings, and you'll be spiritually led right into it. I should start making a habit of waking up at four to pray that, and then you know, not just read it, but feel it, you know, palpably, and you know, see what that's like. Did you ever have that grace? Uh, there, there was a, a a Jesuit priest, George Maloney, who was a popular spiritual writer in the seventies, and he wrote a book. I don't remember what it was on. I don't. Re- I don't recommend all of his books. Towards the end of his life, he he it was kind of like, okay, let's just leave that alone. But he wrote a book about like. Um, distinct spiritual experiences like and one of them was praying at praying the fourth watch of the night praying at three in the morning wow and i I read it and when i gave a talk on it over over the years people will say that's that happened to me that happened to me it's where they get woken up 258 Mm -hmm. and they're wide awake and they have that sense i'm supposed to be watching with the lord vigiling I'm going to pray at three in the morning. Hmm. And they pray for an hour, three to four. And that's the hour of visitation. Did you, did you know that? I heard that somewhere, yeah. Yeah, and why is that the hour of visitation? I don't know, actually. Well, I I, I'm sure you do. What happened on the fourth watch of the night? The apostles on the boat, what happens to Jesus? Oh. Comes he, walking on the water. Yeah. It's a ghost. Yeah. It was at three in the morning. So it was the hour of visitation. That's why it's called that. Okay. And so it's like Jesus is going to come and visit you in a very special way at three in the morning. Guess what happens at three in the morning in terms of most of our thinking? We're pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> pretty clean. There's not a lot going on. Yeah. And so um, I have found that God gives a grace for a time to do the three o'clock in the morning prayer. Mm-hmm. So I, for a time, would set my alarm, get up at three, pray for an hour, go back to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I wasn't tired. In fact, it was almost as if it was even refreshed, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing because you'd think, oh, my REM sleep or whatever they call it, I've been, it, I was jerked out of it and then I got to find my way back into it. No, it's a real, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. I don't know, Father, I think you're called. Well, maybe. I, I, you know, that did actually happen to me. I would say fairly regularly when I was in seminary. Uh, in major seminary, I, I would guess it happened at uh, you know once a semester. Either I uh, some sense woke me up, or maybe even an actual phone call, and I just kind of went with it. 
And um, but as a priest, um, that I don't believe that's happened. Well, maybe a sacramental emergency, but uh, I did have to like I I did and, and would create so that I'm I'm praying throughout the night. Particularly as I was getting into Holy Week, I used to do that um, each year when I was a pastor up north um, to um, you know get into the tr- sacred triduum by by praying through the night in the really? church. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know? And I invite a- others to come in and do that with me and. And they would come for an hour or so, but I'm there the whole time, knowing that I can sleep in Thursday morning because Mass yeah. is not till the evening. <laughs> That's really powerful. Yeah, it's hard to do that here, though, with Mass in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if you, if you do that, Father, I'm going to feel a little bit of guilt that I have to kind of come and join you now, especially <laughs> when we're talking about this. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more Sound Insight with Father Jeff Lewis. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern on this Feast of St. Alphonsus de Liguori um, with Father Jeff Lewis. And we are talking about, well, his first quote. <laughs> I'm glad that we you know, have covered so much ground here. Making some records here. We are. This is sort of par for the course, Father, right? <laughs> okay. So um, here we are. Here's a, here's a challenging one. Um, number seven. The sovereigns of the earth do not always grant audience readily. On the contrary, the King of Heaven, hidden under the Eucharistic veils, is ready to receive anyone. Mm-hmm. What do you say? What do you think about that one? Well, um, unlike the first one that uh, you know uh, convicts me and uh, challenges me, this one consoles me greatly because you know I may feel like you know well I don't really reach out to our you know our state senators or city council persons or anything like that uh, with any regularity, but but I try to reach out to our our bishop, you know. Are um, you know other the priests at the chancery if I have questions and so on and and um, I think they're pretty good at responding in a timely manner, but um, but sometimes they respond in a way that well maybe I shouldn't have asked <laughs> you know better to to have done it and ask for forgiveness than ask permission uh, whatever it was I may have been doing but but uh, but this is comforting and consoling to me because you know maybe maybe I'm not getting the answer I need, or maybe I'm f- feeling the radio silence with uh, trying to reach out to the sovereigns of the earth or the sovereigns in the church, you know, the powers that be in the church. But I, I feel drawn, in, especially in those moments where I'm feeling maybe isolated or ignored by those folks, to go to the Lord in the Eucharist and uh, to just sit with Him in that, whatever, that sorrow or that desolation, because um, I, I do know and I, I do perceive it that, that He is ready to receive me. And uh, there was that great book, um, I don't know if we talked about it on this program, but it's called In Sinu Yesu. Oh, yeah. And um, I read that, and, and constantly, and constantly, and constantly, uh, the Lord is speaking to the monk who wrote that book, you know, in these kind of private revelations, to come to me in the Eucharist, and, and I will console you, and I will recharge you, I will refresh you, and, but so many people ignore me in the Eucharist. And uh, I found that book challenging and consoling all at once, because I do feel like I, I, I visit the Lord in the Eucharist very regularly, very frequently. And uh, and I and I experience the benefits of that, and but I also feel that sorrow and pain that not more people do. That's beautiful. I think that um, uh, connecting the the points that we're talking about, one of the most powerful places to do that vigiling, that persistence, that sense of I'm not going to stop pestering until you answer. I'm not going to stop knocking until you open, is in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I I just I'll leave that there. I know this is a theme I talk about quite a bit on Sound Insight, going to adoration, just as a powerful place of encounter with the Lord. Um, so I'm going to move us forward, Father. Here we go. Okay, back to the hard side. Number five. <laughs> he who trusts himself is lost. 
He who trusts God can do all things. Yeah. Is that too hard? Come on. That just is very stark. You shouldn't trust yourself. I mean, come on. That's really black and white here. I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I was just having a conversation um, earlier today with someone in spirit direction about, you know, the the, uh, innate need a lot of us have to just control things, to have the control. And if I can just get my ducks in a row... Then I'll be ready to surrender to God, but I got to get ready first, and that kind of a thing. And I'm definitely in that camp. I feel like, I feel like my life is out of whack if even one little thing is out of control sometimes. And that's maybe another way of saying, you know, I just got to be able to to trust myself to, you know, I can't trust these people to do these things, but I can trust myself to do things correctly. And uh, when that's in place, then I can then I can move on. Then I can trust God with the the uh, periphery things in my life. But how lost am I? You know, you know. Really, how lost am I when I when I do try to take control of all that, and one little thing can just put a kink in the whole works, and it's like a house of cards that just comes tumbling down. Whereas if I just try to find a way to surrender and trust in God, it wouldn't be a house of cards; it'd be a house of solid solid rock. Hey, how about that? And Jesus calls, you know, I'm you know, I am the rock. And um, anyway, so um, yeah, it feel it feels like even if I got everything in order, it's like okay, now keep it in perfect balance, and and uh, okay, step away. You know, I, I, I'm still feeling lost because I got to keep watch over whatever this project is that I did, this house of cards. And so, um, yeah, this is, this is another one that stings. I need to let go. <laughs> I, I find this one paradoxical because uh, on the one hand, you have that sense of entrustment of oneself in the situations you're facing to the Lord. It's the deepest level of faith. And so absolutely trust the Lord and entrust yourself to the Lord. But then... What part is there in, like, let's just call it a human level of confidence in what um, what God has created, mm-hmm. right? So not to quote um, any kind of theological expert that I put a lot of stock in, but Hans Kung, mm-hmm. one of his uh, more famous works was is called Does God Exist? Do you, do you remember that book? I never read it. It's about it, but 900 pages yeah, long. It's, it's a gigantic. long book. And and the and the idea behind the book is he's not questioning whether God exists. He explores the different proofs for God's existence and the different sources of a credible belief in God's existence uh, in an updated way, right? And at the end, he says if you're going to kind of dig down to a fundamental human experience, that is a basis to build off of. He says that it's the unconscious acceptance that reality is trustworthy, that no one questions the reality of reality. Mm-hmm. Now, he was writing this in the, in the 1960s or whatever, uh, late 60s, maybe early 70s. And so he doesn't live in the time where people who question God's existence will say things like, are we all part of some simulation? Right. Right. Like, I don't mind that as long as you're all part of mine, <laughs> <laughs> but you can't be part of each other's. So, uh, so the idea that says mine, just mine the experience, dig into it, explore the experience that people have that says, you know what? People aren't freaking out that they exist. They trust reality. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if, tr- if reality is trustworthy, then you can get up in the morning and move forward into your day. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's an insight there. Yeah. Well, and maybe coupled with that, there's, if, if we take this, the idea behind this quote, he who trusts himself is lost, he who trusts in God can do all things, to like an extreme, then um, 
we uh, we 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 abandon the idea that grace builds on nature. Excellent point. Yeah, God wants to work through me, not in spite of me. And God gave me talents and gifts, you know, that I can put to work. So I can trust in that. If I discern properly and well what my gifts and talents are, then I then I can trust in myself. But but it's a backhand way of saying, well, really, I, I trust in God then because I know God gave me these gifts. And some are very physical attributes. I'm six and a half feet tall. I can trust that I can reach things that others can't. You know, it's a very simple physical example. I don't have to, well, I'm going to trust in God in this one. And meanwhile, mom is down here like, no, forget that. Can you just get the bowl, please? <laughs> and, That's excellent. Uh, yeah. That's a John of the Cross. So John of the Cross in the Ascent of Mount Carmel says, should I be seeking prophetic revelation from God about X, Y, Z? And he's like, you silly guy. God's given you reason. God gave you the gift of reason. Use your reason. So don't stop moving forward until God inspires you because, you know what? That's a lack of faith in what God has created you to be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Like, again, living with the range of all of these uh, ways of discussing things. The last thing I'll say about this particular quote, he who trusts himself is lost, he who trusts God can do all things, is uh, Carrie and I, when we talk about like sin, um, I tend to say, um, you know, any one of us could do anything. Like, don't put it beyond the realm of possibility that <coughs> any one of us, me or you or any of us, could commit the most heinous mortal sin. Otherwise, we might become overconfident, mm -hmm. which overconfident, overconfiding in, overtrusting of. So, so for me, and then Carrie's like, yeah, but on the other hand, the whole flow of your life is a, 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 an attempt, at least in major portions, to follow God's grace. So the likelihood that you would fall into that sin is really, really, really obscure and minor. And, and so you can see it's like both things need to be upheld. Like, mm -hmm. no, trust the goodness of God and, and the goodness of what the work of God in you. And I'm like, yeah, but anything's possible. Mm -hmm. And let's not presume on God's grace. And we're all an inch away from falling into horrific sin. Mm -hmm. You know, another great saint, Saint, I think it's attributed to him, St. Philip Neri, you know, this quote, there but for the grace of God go I. And the story, I think, is he finds someone passed out drunk on the street and he realizes but for God's strength, that could be me too. So he can see in that one glimpse, you know, this is this is the you know the depths to which I can sink, and and that's how that's that's one thing that you know if I trust myself, I could lead to that's that's uh, I can do all things. I can sink that low, but you know at the same time he's the patron saint of comedians and jokesters and all this. So he had a <laughs> kind of a lightheartedness about him too that you know a, a nature of his he can he can soar to the heights and he recognizes God's. God's got a place or a perspective in, in both those extremes, and and uh, and there's that there's that tension there that um, you know we we strive to straddle the middle of, I guess, and yeah. and be malleable to the will of God and the grace of God. Well, and I still get discouraged that Saint Francis of Assisi and Saint Padre Pio on their deathbeds are like, "Pray for me, brothers. I fear the judgment of God." And I'm thinking, like, I just give up. <laughs> I just Are you kidding me? You really? Really? So, well, there we go. It's up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. So, Father, uh, we just finished with uh, Padre Pio and St. Padre Pio and St. Francis of Assisi on their deathbeds, asking their brothers, please pray for me, right? Yeah. I'm, um, uh, I'm fearful of God's judgment. I don't want that to be the last thing I say. <laughs> Do you, is there a is there like a final sentence that either comes from the life of a saint? I'm throwing this at you right off the cuff uh-huh. here, or from um, just from I don't know in your own thinking. Like, what's the last thing you want to say with your last breath? Well, okay. Um, if I were really in the pious mood, it would be the last words I think of Mother Teresa: Jesus, Mary, Jesus, Mary. She died with the the holy names on her lips. But uh, a part of me... That's pretty good. I yeah. like that. I mean, come on. That's, I mean, that, that's kind of a default setting. How do yeah, you... there's nothing better than that. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, there's a great line. Uh, apparently, it was uh, the last words of St. Thomas More, who uh, said, I, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. But then there's kind of a um, uh, lesser known story, I suppose, where his, really what his last words were, were for the ears of the, of the headsman alone. You know, by he spent a year in prison and he grew this epic beard. And he looks up at the headsman and kind of pulls the beard forward off the chopping block and says, This hath not offended the king, so that it would be intact when his head comes off the body. And I'm like, If that's true, if that's not apocryphal, but true, I, a part of me kind of hopes I end my life's journey with a humorous quote like that. Or maybe like St. Lawrence, you know, turn me over, this side is done kind of a thing. You know, I like to think I'm a humorous person, and so maybe my last words would be something like that. But the pious side of me definitely wants to go the Mother Teresa route. I like that. I, man, your answers are way better than mine. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm stuck trying to come up with a, a better answer. I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I don't know if it was um, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, now Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity, or if it was... Um, one of the great St. Teresa's, like either Teresa of Avila or Teresa of Lisieux, it was um, uh, how beautiful it is to die. How beautiful it is to die. I just think that that is so amazing. Yeah. That uh, that would be an, an awesome final thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully our last words are not something like, I did it my way. No, or... I, re- uh, I regret nothing. Uh, <laughs> well, and there was... a. Uh, a friend of my, one of the best friends of my younger brother, um, whose father had stopped practicing faith, and he uh, was on his deathbed, and my brother's friend, who I was also good friends with, was describing the scene, and, you know, the father was really not very cognizant, Um, but as he approached his moment of death, he was saying, no, no, there's a door. No, I don't want to go. No, I don't want to go through the door. No. And then he died. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. Um, so, you know, that, I, I, I don't know if uh, it's, when I hear things like that, and um, I have that devotion. It's so funny. It's, I, I had, I had a very strong devotion to pray for the souls in purgatory. Mm-hmm. Now I've shifted, and I have a greater devotion to pray for souls that are near to death but far from God. Because yeah. there's something at stake there. Mm-hmm. And I want supernatural interventions so that they're not saying, no, no, I don't want to go, no. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I wonder why that hasn't been a, a devotion in the history of the church, to pray for souls that are near to death but far from God. Yeah. 
In fact, I you know I'm not sure I've encountered that in any of my read of the saints or anything. Um, really, until Fatima, when they had the vision of the souls falling into hell, and and she exhorted the children to pray for sinners. Yep. Yeah. yeah and the reason they're falling is none to pray for them. So no pray, pray for them. these poor sinners and do yeah. reparation. Pray mm-hmm. a rosary and do acts of reparation for them that are near to death and far from God. And I'm like, man, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I'm going to be the one at the receiving end of those prayers myself one day, and I'm going to need those prayers. Absolutely. Yeah. I and you know, I I think there's a whole theology and spirituality of that because um, here's my theory. Okay, don't call me a heretic, Father, <laughs> but because God's outside of time and God can apply the prayers of any moment in time to every other moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how the Mass works. That's how Jesus' forgiveness on the cross works, is he's applying that throughout time. It works forwards and backwards for us who are in time. God's outside of time. Well, the sufferings of the church that is making up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right, that we suffer for the sake of the the body, um, there's a way in which we can pray for any and every soul. And all of history who has been near to death but far from God, that at their final moment, in the final moment of their life, the Lord would intervene in a supernatural way to bring about copious redemption. Yeah. yeah. How's that for theology? Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of time-traveling theology right there. It's kind of bending my mind. Like, you know... You know who would we name as going to be one of the worst sinners in 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 history? Maybe like I don't know Adolf Hitler, in the moment before he took the pill or pulled the trigger, however it was he committed suicide. Blew up the bunker or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know that that your prayers for the sinners dying and you know near to death but far from God is applied to him some eighty years ago. Yeah, yep. that's so, an interesting theory. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, withhold from further commentary lest I join you in your heresy. <laughs> <laughs> or lapse into it. <laughs> okay, so there's a doctor of the church, St. Hildegard of Bingen, uh-huh. who received these visitations from souls in purgatory to pray for them that they would be freed. Well, um, there was a woman that came to her and said, please pray for my relative who died. And, um, and so she started to pray for this relative for God's mercy and saw him like in flames. And she kept praying. And the Lord said, keep praying for him. And the more she prayed, the more he became freed from those flames and eventually appeared in light. And the idea was that the Lord was using her prayers and sacrifices that she prayed after he died to bring about the supernatural intervention that occurred at his moment of death. Wow. And it was mysteriously connected to this idea that says you can pray after the fact for something that God will retroactively, but in his moment, in the moment of eternity, apply uh, for that soul. So you got a doctor of the church. I got a doctor of the church on my side. Oh, all right? um, Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's just not something that we we think a lot about, but I I actually love that idea. Yeah. I, I think that's a very powerful way of of exploring the way in which God could bring about redemption beyond what has been, I think, um, an overly 
legalistic approach to the concept of salvation, mm-hmm. where there are some very holy men and women down through the ages who have said the great majority of humanity will be damned mm-hmm. and the great majority of Catholics will be damned. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, man, God is not very good at being God. <laughs> He's not very smart, very clever, very wise, very powerful, or very good to be able to, to outwit knuckleheads like us mm-hmm. to help bring about our salvation despite ourselves. Yeah. There you go. Man. You know, another saint that is uh, probably in, in your good company um, in that idea is maybe St. Louis de Montfort. I think there's a clause in his, the prayer he composed for our consecration to Mary, where, you know, in being consecrated and consecrating ourselves to, to Mary, to her motherly mantle, that we surrender all of our merits and all of our prayers, past, present, and to come, to dispose with as she wills. So there's kind of a bit of that time travel theology uh, there, too. So whatever I may pray for 30 years from now, Mary can do with as she wills, you know, to apply to someone who's who needs it today. I mean, the same idea can be a, a thought and uh, discerned from that. Nice. So there you go. Well, and I think about this because it's uh, so Jimmy Aiken. He's mm-hmm. on Catholic Answers. He has a podcast, and one of his podcasts is Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World or Mysterious Universe. Oh, I, yeah, I've have heard you heard this. of it? Yeah. So he had an episode on time traveling prayer. Oh wow. And, and that was where I got the story of, of this saint. Oh, wow. And um, he had a couple of other examples, too, mm-hmm. drawn from the history of the church and from lives of saints of time-traveling prayer. Okay. And um, I thought it was, it, was, it was brilliant. It helped inform what I had sensed and had um, embraced as a, as a kind of a spirituality, mm-hmm. but in, in a way that found correspondence with, um, with saints, which yeah. is... Good company to be in. Yeah, that's right? good. Yeah. So, well, Father, we only have uh, just a minute left. So we went through three quotes. There yeah. we go. We got through 20%. <laughs> so that's not so bad. Um, we're recording this on Thursday. You're going to be at Steubenville Northwest? I will be there yeah, so all weekend. That's so awesome that you're you're there. And, and I heard that the bishop has a degree of like encouragement for priests to be there. Yes. He, uh, he told us when he got here, he expects the younger priests and pastors to be present insofar as it's possible, the whole weekend. And for the older priests, don't make any plans. We need you around to cover. And uh, I've taken that uh, as, a, as marching orders ever since. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And have you found it to be a blessing? For me personally, and you know, I think it's a blessing for the kids I'm with because not a lot of the groups have their own kind of personal chaplain to accompany them. Yeah. Well, my boys are being accompanied Good. so they're they're coming and very excited thank you for helping make that happen yeah um we love the steubenville conferences and steubenville northwest has been a blessing even way back when years ago when we were on the west side um our oldest uh, daughter went and had a proud powerful encounter with christ thanks father for being with me today god bless you all join me tomorrow for more sun insight